Hello everyone, we're here at Hack Access Dublin and I'm talking to Janice Valentine who's the founder and organiser of Hack Access Dublin. And we're going to talk to her briefly just about this event and how it's been organised and what it's all about. So, hi Janice, how are hi. you? Hi, hi. So we just want to ask you, how, what is Hack Access Dublin about and why and how was it set up? Well, it's really about using the energy and the talent of the startup community to really change how um, we view disability and try and solve uh, some of the key challenges which exclude people uh, with a disability from participating in society. And it came about through my own experience of disability via my brother's experience. And uh, he really did, I think, share the same kind of attitude as people in the startup community. So when I became, when I immersed myself in about three years ago, looking to see what I could do with my life, it just was a no-brainer to me. I was like, these are the kind of people that need to be engaged in solving this challenge because it's such, as you know, such a complex, complex challenge that it demands the smartest people we have um, mixed with the most caring people and the people who have the energy and will to really get out there and make a difference. And this is what, what it's all about. Yeah, and you have some amazing sponsors this year. We're obviously here at Google Headquarters. Absolutely. How, how do you actually manage to get all these groups uh, in? I must take an awful lot of work. Well, it, well, I have to say the first year nearly killed me. I think that the main thing is I knew that this would not happen with, without a venue that actually people wanted to go to. So that was a huge focus. So nearly the venue is accounts for everything because you get the venue and then the sponsor will think oh okay so you've got this venue people will come and then you get so nearly you get that you do things backwards you get the venue first you really gather people around you who are influential so my first thing I went out to people in the startup community like people part of startup grind and um, startup weekend like Jean Murphy and I was like look I want to do this what do you think and they were like, yeah, great idea. Um, they acknowledged that it would be a lot of work, but they thought it would be a great thing for Dublin to do. So I got support, knew it was going to be a good thing, knew I'd be supported, got the venue. And then um, and then came the sponsor, and that come, came from somebody who was in, in the community who was doing work with, it was Nissan Ireland first. Mm -hmm. But I mean, how I got Google on board was really like... 50 degrees of separation. I knew somebody who used to work in Google who was connected to someone high up. So it was really knowing someone, knowing someone. It was via LinkedIn. I said, listen, I want to do this event. Can you help me? And he did. And like a few weeks later, I was on a call with um, Janadi Nissenbaum, who was, who was at the time uh, head of Google for Entrepreneurs. And really, I just told him, really expressed my purpose in it. And I think that's what made the difference. I didn't have a clue how it was going to work. I think really if people are clear on, well, why are you doing this? And I'll be actually doing some pitch coaching with participants and what we need to do in the beginning of share, or trying to get people on board, we really have to express our purpose. Like, why do we want to do this? What is at the core of this, you know? And this is the third year? It's the third year. It's hard and to believe, yeah. You see this growing year on year? Hopefully. And global ambitions? <laughs> well, I, I can really... If you look at, like, how startup communities work... Um, Dublin, ha Dublin has grown its community by importing events like Startup Grind, Startup Weekend, the Techstars stuff, and the Dublin Beta is part of a wider community. So I'm kind of looking at that, going, well, if that happens with 
normal kind of startup initiatives, why can't it happen with a startup initiative that, that is focused on social impact? So I really see the benefits of this um, in terms of how different cities can connect with each other and share their learnings from these kind of events to actually make a difference. Because we're, we're better tackling this. It's a global issue. Mm-hmm. And there's no one country that is leading the way in how it's dealt. So why don't we say, hey, let's let's try and be leaders in disability innovation? Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose this year, Ireland did ratify the UN Convention of Rights for People yes. with Disabilities, although we were last in Europe to do so. <laughs> yeah, but certainly the precedence. concept of innovation in Ireland is one good. Thank you very much for talking to us today. And best of luck with the rest of your Thank weekend you so and going for forward. Yeah. So we're here with Hack Access Dublin. And we're looking forward to interviewing some of the other enablers and participants of this event. So another person here uh, this weekend is Antonio Santos, uh, and he's described as one of the enablers here at Hack Access Dublin. How are you doing, Antonio? Very good. Yourself? Good. Can you tell us what's your role here and what, what are we trying to achieve at Hack Access Dublin? Well, uh, we're trying to find ways to make uh, Dublin more accessible and friendly to everyone, and you know, in, in a way that everyone can experience the city and be you know, independent people with disabilities, elderly, you know, everyone. And my role here is to support the teams and the the, the participants of the hackathon um, in relation to questions that they might have, in relation to the solutions that they are trying to develop, and also uh, helping them with uh, the research side, you know, because sometimes you are in a place, you have, it's important to look at what is already being built and see if your solution can actually blend with the existing solutions. Yes. Instead of creating something completely new, mm-hmm. how can you look at the resist- existing resources available in the city and you can create something that can work within that, you know? Okay, so you've got a chance to listen to all the different pitches as they've been developed over the last couple of days. Yes, yes. Without spoiling any of the secrets, do you see some of these solutions as good possibilities or things that could be supported by Dublin City Council maybe or innovation after this event? I see that, I see that there's a good number of solutions that can be supported by the City Council, but I think they, they also require some level of testing, you know, in you know, physical testing, you know, you need to go to you know uh, out there to the streets and and use uh, the technology, invite people with disabilities to do the testing with you and see how, how everything evolves. But definitely, some of the solutions they will be extremely helpful to improve the mobility and also to improve the customer experience from from the side of the companies that provide transport services. So I think there will be a, a very good uh, way to enable. No, let's say bus iron to improve customer experience by being more focused on the needs of the people who use their services. Well, I know you've got to catch a flight now, and that's linked to transport, so (laughs) I'll let you go, and I just want to thank you for your time here again today. Thank you. Thank you. So I've now just tracked down Lisa McAvoy, who's one of the participants here at Hack Access Dublin. How are you doing, Lisa? Uh, Fine. I'm I'm here in Access Dublin. I find it very interesting and it helps me like for if I got lost and for any deceivers users that gets lost if, in my point of view and I'm getting really experienced and I'm getting to meet new people and I'm here like it's just amazing achievement or amazing like experience like I've been working on. 
So you're in Google headquarters here, the European headquarters for Google. What's it like being in this building? Do you think it's... It's very, like, experience and, like, I feel like, like, 100%, like, I want to come back and do more projects and just being involved in stuff and it doesn't have to be a project, it can be anything. So this is something you'd like to happen work on, again? Yeah, work on, and then happen throughout the future. Like, I think it's amazing to get that achievement. Like, I've, like, it's amazing. Like, I get an achievement. Like to work in Google with the um, with the project that I'm doing, and it'd be help like for all of us to know the city better and get to know, like, be safe and awareness and be on the safe side. Okay. Well, thanks very much, Lisa. Yeah, thanks for your time and good luck with the rest of the weekend. So I've just tracked down David Pollard, who's also one of the co-organisers of Hack Access Dublin 2018. And he's going to tell us a little bit about why he's involved in this initiative and... uh, what his plans for the future are. Hey, it's good to be on. Thanks very much. So yeah, we're here on the third day of Hack Access Dublin. Uh, my real job, uh, other than organising this with Janice, is the Innovation Projects Manager for the Rehab Group. So we work with people with disabilities in different areas, education, employment, and supporting people in the community as well, through residential homes and, and different things like that. So for me, uh, working in, in that area and having been an educator uh, with people with both intellectual disabilities, physical disabilities and, and continuing that, that uh, side of my life as well, uh, this has been something that allowed me to bring all of my interests together because I also work uh, on something called Startup Week Dublin, which is like a 10-day program to support people with um, who are just interested in entrepreneurship and within that then we also have um, an event that will support uh, entrepreneurs with disabilities and what Hack Access Dublin allows me to do is bring that startup side of my interests uh, and the educational side of my life and also the the kind of interest in the area of disabilities, accessibility and inclusion and tie it all together and support people to create inclusive solutions to the challenges that we see here in Dublin and elsewhere around the world as well, which is super exciting. Yeah, that's incredible work that you're doing and that idea of connecting people and all of those ideas, being able to connect those through this event is really a good opportunity, both people who have experience in disability, people who have disabilities and and those who don't, you know, who are new to this field. So there's a real opportunity for that diversity of thinking to come together at this event. So tell us more about uh, what you think that the outcomes for today or for this weekend can be and maybe where this event can go for the future. Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting one. I agree 100%. The diversity of the, both the mindsets and the, the, where people's backgrounds are and what experiences they've had has really made this kind of whole idea of coming in for three days and creating solutions together uh, so rich. Because what you have, and I know you can't see it on the podcast, but around us here you've got the teams that are working, they're just about to go into their pitch practice, Uh, they've got their ideas, they've on the Friday gone through this ideation stage, and now we're at a stage where they are going to pitch those solutions to the the council and to Smart Dublin and from people from Bank of Ireland and others. So for me, I think that those ideas are going to go, some of them 
probably not be on this weekend. Yeah. Some of them may go on and be actually implemented on maybe the smart docklands or on one of the streets in Dublin and maybe on from that after the trial. But for me, the key is the community. Yeah. It's what we're, the ideas, the connections that we're making. And look, we're here chatting. Uh, we have an opportunity now to, to have a, a conversation. But it's then what follows on from that? What are the actions that are going to take place? And this is where I, I find it fascinating. Um, so I built up an educational technology community here about three years ago. That's now about three and a half thousand people here in Dublin. Whoa. We're based in Bristol and Mexico. And I think that Hack Access Dublin has the potential to be the same on a global scale and bigger. Because we can see here we've got people who have flown in from Canada, uh, people who are coming in just as on an off chance. Uh, and if we can harness that energy that we have here, those ideas, that diversity, well, what we can create is a movement that's focused on positive, purposeful action that can actually make solutions to the challenges that everyday people have. Whether you have a disability, whether you're pushing a, a buggy down the street, um, whether you're uh, sick or you've broken your leg playing a football match, it doesn't matter. We all need to have accessible environments. And what I see Hack Access doing is connecting all of the stakeholders, whether it's government, whether it's communities, whether it's disability bodies, together so that we kind of go, okay, Let's just take a step back from the whole idea of we're battling over funding. Let's actually see what we're doing for the people that we're trying to serve. And I think that's the exciting part is that we will actually have a bigger community next year that we can kind of go, okay, well, I need something done or I'm struggling with this. Who can I go to? Well, maybe it's Sarah from St. John of God's. Maybe it's David from Rehab Group. Maybe it's Stephen from Dublin City Council. And you, you know that environment and that network. And that network is developing with you and all a collective reason for, for that as well, which sounds really impressive. So David, thanks for your time. Is there anything else that you'd like to add before we maybe finish up this part of the podcast? Well, what I'd love to, uh, to invite people to do is to, to come along, have a look at, at Startup uh, Week Dublin, so dublinstartupweek.com. There's an event there if you're interested in, in, in disabilities and in accessibility and supporting entrepreneurs who have disabilities. Uh, pop along to that, it's called Startability. It's on the website. Uh, Janice will be there uh, showcasing what's come out of the far side of, of Hack Access Dublin. So it'll be a great opportunity on the back of this mm -hmm. uh, to take that first step into this area. And also with the Hack Access Dublin meetups, we've got these bi-monthly meetups that'll be coming up. So check out hackaccessdublin.ie. I think that'll be the perfect way to, to get started into this community. Great. Well, I better get a move on because I think my pitch is going to be up <laughs> shortly with, with, with our team. So I better get to, get doing some work rather than doing these interviews. But That's thanks what, again for your time. That's what happens when you talk to an awfully man. <laughs> so hi, we're still here at Hack Access Dublin 2018 and I'm here now with Gary Carney. And Gary is just after his group has, has just won Hack Access Dublin with a new project uh, and he's going to tell us a little bit about that. So first of all, Gary, what's the actual, um, what have you named your new practice? It's called Jump On and the idea of it is, as anybody who's waited for a bus and not been able to get on the bus, it's to help people access the bus, whether they're able-bodied or disabled, wheelchair users, buggy users, older people, everybody. But And it's done in real time and it's available through an app and it tells you what, how many is on the bus, it tells you if the wheelchair accessible place is free, it tells you what's available. All on the touch of a button. So year after winning Hack Access uh, Dublin 2018 now, so what's the next step for this uh, application? What, what, what's going to happen now going forward, do you think? Well, some, there's some coding to be done. Uh, 
but the, the coding guys are working on that already. The, uh, the, the, the concept is good in itself. Uh, it doesn't break any rules. The, the Dublin bus or the example we used, have the IT in place, have the cameras in place. It's just a matter of matching the two systems and writing the code. And that's what's going to happen next. But it won't take very long according to, my technical, according to the technical people. Okay, so you've been here for the last three days. Uh, what do you think? Is, is it a worthwhile event and it should, should it develop going forward? It's a fantastic event. It should definitely be going forward and I would love to see it in more cities. There is a Hack Access Sligo coming up, I believe, and I may pop up the Sligo for the weekend uh, because it really does make a difference. It helps people who are designers and technicians and engineers understand from the disability world's point of view our problems and what causes us issues. And it's a great link-up and it's a great form of communication, which is the major problem with the, the able-bodied world and the disabled world. We don't communicate enough and this proves that we can do it and it's very successful. Well, I've certainly had a great time here over the weekend and it's been great talking to you and learning about all the different projects that are happening here in Dublin. And as you said, if this moves from city to city, urban space to urban space, maybe we might have one down in Cork not so long in the I future. Am, I'm sure Cork and Limerick will be in on this like a shot. After Dublin, of course, but then I expect everybody to follow us up here. <laughs> thanks very much, Gary, and we'll see thanks, you soon. Thanks very much for asking me. Cheers. So just before we finish up, uh, I need to ask Gary, I know you're, you're running a radio station, right? Well, I'm not running a radio station, just, my own, just a disability show with a difference, and it's called Viva Vox on 103.2 Dublin City FM. It's available live, online, and on SoundCloud, which is available from the site. Uh, I, so I'm on show 64 or 65, I started at I think show 82, so after that you can listen to me talking to David Pollard and loads of other people uh, about disability issues with a difference, not moaning and groaning, not complaining, that we're different needs, not special needs, we're all the same, we're just different, but everybody's different. So give us the name of that. Uh... It's Vivavox on 103.2 Dublin City FM. It's a disability show with a difference and it's available online on the website www.dublincityfm and it's on SoundCloud at VivaVox. That's brilliant, Gary. Thanks a million again. So hello everyone. Uh, I'd like to welcome Kate O'Reilly today to Cork. She's here for a reading of Cozy and has been working with UCC all week and tonight she's part of a reading and of course is the writer of a play called Cozy and we're going to talk to her a little bit about that so you're very welcome Kate. Thank you, thank you, it's fantastic to be here. Okay so tell us a little bit why you're here this week. Well I'm part of the Clanars group with Philip Cirilli the director and we were invited to come and be in residence at, in the drama department for UCC so this week Philip has been working with a group of students in his approach to actor training using psychophysical approach, which uses um, Asian martial arts. And I've been doing workshops with the same students in writing and dramaturgy. Okay. So you're... Um this week is really about cosy, I think, isn't it? That's the yes. that's the play we're really here to, to yes. learn about and learn from Indeed. and talk about and well, hear. 
It's the crown of the week. We've had the fantastic week working with the students and at UCC. Seriously, it's been really exciting and really wonderful. But um, now what we're doing with Gate Crash um, and my colleague Sarah Beer, who's flown over from Wales to mm. be here this evening. And of course, she's stuck with the rugby as well on today. Oh, she is. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. But she is a huge rugby fan. Okay. <laughs> so, um, yes, yeah, so shows how much she's excited about this project <laughs> that she has decided not to be at home watching the rugby, which she would be doing normally, but is still is here in Cork. And um, it's a rehearsed reading we're doing of a play I wrote called Cozy which is quite an uncozy piece in lots of ways because it's a well it's a big kind of family drama but it also tackles some really serious subjects through humor okay but some of these subjects i think we need to all talk more about and that's about our aging population and also what some people call end of life scenarios Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's uh, so many people say that the last taboo is death and how we shuffle off this mortal coil. And yet other people always say the Irish are pretty good at that and they know how to deal with with um, end of life and ritual and, and, the, and the, you know, the grief and resolution that come can come from that when we lose someone. But this play, and that's why partly I'm really excited that we're doing it here in Ireland, and particularly here in Cork, um, because it is, it's not a sombre play, but Mm -hmm. it does look at some very serious subjects. Um, And what I'm doing, which is really exciting, is working with Gate Crash. We've got um, five fantastic Cork women actors who are in it and my colleague from Wales Sarah who's the sort of interloper this West Walian woman nobody really knows where she's come from um, but we're also really focusing on how to adapt and change the script so that it has even more resonance to Ireland and particularly to Cork so that's been really exciting just in the rehearsals today and then yesterday and that's really interesting um, I'm just kind of wondering, in the past when you've performed this, how have audiences responded to it? Mm. Um, you mentioned the, the last taboo subject yeah, about death yeah, and dying yeah. and end of life. And I'm just interested to know, what has the response been to this, uh, this text? Mm-hmm. Well, it's had one production, which was in Wales in 2016, Now, we've done a reading of it before when I was writing the script. Mm -hmm. It was still in development, and we did that with Gate Crash here in Cork, Mm -hmm. um, which was, I think, in 2014. So in many ways, we're coming home Mm -hmm. with it. Okay. Um, But when it was produced in 2016, well, first of all, we were getting five-star reviews, which is not to be sniffed at. We were incredibly happy about that. But also, quite a well-known figure in Wales, um, Mark Taubert. He is um, he's involved in um, Valindra, which is the cancer unit in Cardiff, and he's been trying to get a movement where we talk about death. We talk about what kind of end of life we want. We talk about these things instead of just 
being too afraid or 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 feeling that it's uh, feeling too awkward about talking about these things and so he's been very much at the forefront of a kind of movement to talk about death and the end of our life as still part of our life mm-hmm. we're still alive we're still living it's you know it's it's the culmination of that and he he he's been really really trying to encourage people in the UK in particular to address this and he came to see the show and was raving about it and rec- you know recommending people to go and see it which was wonderful because part of what i wanted to do was to through humor you see what i think what happens with humor and through maybe like a family drama that we can all in some way you know kind of uh, recognize ourselves in in there in the complex those complex love hate relationships that can happen within our families but with the use of humor as well as as those kind of complicated relationships with you know hoping to shine a light into those dark areas where we don't want to talk about because um i think it's very healthy for us to perhaps say what our wishes might be or um just to talk about this organic part of being human and being alive you know that we are finite as one of the characters in the play says she says we're organic matter we're not made of teflon you know we're going to end at some point mm-hmm. does the story relate in any way to your own life um well, not directly apart from the fact that um i've been thinking that this is something we need to talk about a lot more you know when i i've lost members of my family and when it when it came to then trying to talk about maybe you know would they want to be buried do should we cremate them where should we put them do we bring them back home here to ireland or would they rather stay in the uk to be closer to to the rest of the family or you know and we and the things that we haven't talked about mm. But but also you see most of the play is um, and where it becomes quite controversial. It also looks at the issues around assisted suicide. Mm-hmm. So apart from hopefully also encouraging people to open up or talk or say what they'd like, you know, from my own personal experience, I you know I know I have members of my family that have passed on, and I'm going. I hope I'm doing what they would have liked. Mm-hmm. I hope we're doing the right kind of service for them or you know because we never talked about that and I wish we did so that's something I'm trying to now do in my own life but I think also there's a much bigger subject out there which is around physician assisted suicide and um the whole kind of argument about um you know the, the there's a many many perspectives that we explore in the play about this some people will say you know we want you know we want better living not easier dying and then other people that say well surely the one thing that i only own in this life is myself so shouldn't i be able to have the autonomy over when i decide that my life ends and then we may have another perspective with somebody with a strong face who might go that's not up to you to decide that might be a creator or that might be god's decision not yours and then another perspective that um is is arguing that it's actually more humane 
to allow people, if they want, to die with dignity rather than perhaps facing what could be often a very cruel and distressing demise. So it's also, you know, this this is a whole kind of subject that I think is going to become more and more pertinent to us. Um, certainly, in you know, there's all sorts of areas now across Europe and also different states in America that are beginning to legalise physician-assisted suicide. Um, and that it seems to be also one of those big taboo subjects that maybe we need to talk about and think about as a society. How do we feel about that? Again, one of the characters in the play says, she says, well, you, you, you wouldn't, you know, you put a dog out of its misery. That's humane. Why can't we do it for ourselves? And then another character says, but the trick in is, is in knowing if the dog is actually in misery or not. And how do we know? So it's, you know, a very complex um, subject matter, which as a playwright is endlessly fascinating. And especially when you, you can kind of explore some of these perspectives through really kind of complex relationships within three generations of the one family. You know, it, it, it's kind of incredibly exciting to me to write that kind of material. And, you know, I was in tears... Uh, earlier today when um, this fantastic cast were were reading it just in the rehearsal and I kind of went I may have written it I know what's coming but it can still really pack a punch mm. it's not so long ago I myself had to bring my father away to have that type of conversation with him because uh. he was faced with end of life and mm. uh, living with cancer and all that he has survived, but I remember bringing him uh, away for a night to talk about his end of life and what if, and well to done. discuss that detail with him. And in a way, I must say, and it was his response to me, um, that he felt very relieved having been able to share that with yeah. me and yeah. his wants and his hopes. And mm. we discussed his funeral and mm. the music and all that. And, of course, it's an extremely difficult conversation to have mm. uh, with anybody. But mm. it was my sense of it was that it was a real relief for him because he felt that there was very little opportunity for that discussion Absolutely. to be had. And I think so. And that's partly why in the UK, in Wales, when we did the show in 2016, Mark Tobert, who I was talking about in Palliative Care... Um, he was really enjoying the fact that there was something that could open up in a safe way some of these conversations that he felt that we should be having. Mm. Um, and, you know, I, I um, identify as a disabled person and I um, work very much from the social model of disability, kind of politicised perspective, seeing that it's more society and it's attitudinal and physical barriers mm -hmm. that are the disabling factor, not the individual idiosyncrasy of any body, any particular physical body. Um, but I think also I've tried to bring in that sensitivity and awareness from, a, you know, as a disabled woman, kind of working from a politicised, embodied perspective uh, you know about our body and how it can be medicalized how in, it's so easy for us to get part of the whole machine that is hospital 
or hospice or the whole medicalization. And I'm not criticizing. I, you know, I, I, I had cancer a couple of years ago, and um, and I'm here thanks to the incredible skills of those fantastic mm-hmm. doctors and oncologists and the 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 cancer nurses that worked with me. And my, you know, I, I only have my life now thanks to their skills, and I'll always be grateful for them for that and to them but you know at at the same time i know that there is a feeling that care has actually become an industry and especially what we may have done at one point in our family units where we might have you know looked after each other or nursed each other into death you know um the um the the Tulis Tulis wrote the book you know my father's wake what the Irish can teach us about life love and death which is a, a you know bestseller at the moment and he's talking about going to the Aran Islands and the whole kind of suddenly after being in New York and being divorced from the community that he was born into suddenly coming back at a point when he was at a loss but he was saying he felt that that community and those people in you know in Ireland on the well on on the Arand Island knew what to do and he said this is something we've lost contact with which is why he wrote the book mm. of course in our modern society we're not necessarily living in that same kind of traditional way that we did once and that Tulis writes about in his book and 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 we can end up being completely in the conveyor belt of care in hospitals that can almost like you know take you away um it's almost like the curtains are pulled around the bed but we're the wrong side of the curtains instead of being inside there with our loved ones who are passing often we're excluded so it's sort of you know um it's become far more depersonalized in in many many ways and that's also something that i wanted to raise in the play because i do think we have to think about our end of life and the care we give and what we want and also not just automatically yield as i think we so often do in our grief and our 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 fear and our not understanding what's going on um we can yield to the medical profession who then kind of take over and perhaps we need to go back more to a more simple time where we have these conversations like the one you're describing with your father or the ones that I had when I was looking at cancer and I didn't know what the outcome would be for myself but also you know within our um family units and our communities um and how we can keep a cohesiveness rather than this kind of fragmented isolation that i think is is happening more and more in in um, contemporary times i think hmm. so as we kind of um as this play will be read tonight here in yeah. in cork and i know there's future plans for there the is. play so there is uh, and i think that's really exciting so but m- maybe just to finish up if you could Tell us a little bit about what the future plans are for Certainly. the play and for Cork, and maybe what what are the possibilities that could happen around that? Oh yes, right, great, yes, because um, we're absolutely thrilled and we're incredibly grateful 
because the Irish Arts Council have um, given funding to Gatecrash, a theatre company based here in Cork, to produce this play um, as part of the Cork Midsummer Festival in 2019. So again, I met with Lorraine from um, the festival earlier this week while we were here at UCC and we were she's very excited she's fantastic absolutely brilliant um, and we got very excited because we said apart from hopefully having you know this event where we can try and encourage and open up conversations in so many areas about these taboo subjects which I think are very pertinent and we need to talk about we're also saying we want to try and do different kind of wraparound activities that would be happening um, around the time of the festival or whenever I'm I'm here. And so, I mean, we haven't... We've, I've got to make a big list of suggestions because I had so many ideas when I was meeting with Lorraine, but it could be things like... Um, I mentioned that I work a lot within disability arts and culture from the UK, um, and I... I I talk about a lot uh, about I give a lot of talks to the British Council and so on around the world on issues of diversity and disability and inclusivity, but then also um, I, there may be the possibility of having it may, there might be an event like um, a deaf cafe <laughs> where we have a cafe or a, a, a particular hour or so where people want, if, if they want, they can come and talk about, you know, like to try and break some of these 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 taboos. Um, but I'm hoping there'll be public talks, there might be workshops, um, the opportunity to engage and, you know, kind of really in a, in a visceral um, grassroots capacity. And I'll be here throughout the whole of the rehearsals and I'm really up for meeting with people and talking with people and interacting with people. So we're hoping that there might be a whole range of different opportunities to meet formally or one-to-one or in a workshop group situation or public talks um, that are touching on all these kind of issues around disability but also around um, the subject matter. Well, that's... It's, it's really a good connection to have with you now, Kate, because one of the initiatives that COPE Foundation is leading, the organisation I work with, um, and there's a, a range of people around this now and stakeholders, is about working towards making Cork a European centre of excellence for inclusion in the arts. Fantastic. And that's actually embedded yeah. within the local economic and community plan that's going fantastic. forward. So oh my God. Can I just say, I have spent so many decades of my life banging on doors saying, please let us in. Please, can I talk to you? I'm constantly meeting people with fear of difference or, oh God, we're not sure or we don't know. And to actually hear... That that is enshrined yeah. right at the heart of as fantastic. Yeah, we that got, is so mm, fantastic. Yeah, so it's currently embedded within the local economic and community plan. There's a, a really good group of stakeholders from universities to health providers to the city council, everything involved in trying to deliver this project, arts organisations, so that that diverse group is at the table and representation is at the table to That's really fantastic. try and work that. And the second part of that is this platform where artists meet and share stories. And mm. uh, so that is existing in Cork. And to have you now coming to really, you know, 
to show us how you've been working and to really highlight the work you've been doing is going to be a great addition to that. And oh, we I hope, hope so. that that will will that those two um, you coming and that program will kind of meet and there can be some discussions. And of course, we have some fantastic organisations like Cork Arc Cancer Support which are doing a lot of work uh, in terms of end of life and support and, um, you know, really kind of linking this play in mm. with all of that that happens in Cork will be, is a really exciting opportunity, mm. I think, going forward. I just want you to thank you for your time. Um, it's been fantastic talking to you. Oh, thank and you. I know you have a reading to go to yes. in a couple of minutes. Oh, my God. So time go. has, uh, <laughs> yeah. So thanks for your time thank and you. uh, we really appreciate you coming here that and is looking forward to it. fantastic and thank you for having us as well. Many thanks. Thank Great. you. Okay, so we're here with Philip Zerley, um, who's come to Cork this week to do a, a number of workshops um, with UCC Theatre and is also part of the cosy reading here tonight in Civic Trust House. Um, so you're very welcome, Philip. Well, thank you. Lovely to be here, Owen. So tell us a little bit about what you've been doing this week. This week. I have long, for a very long time, I developed a form of training actors using Asian martial arts and yoga. Um, and so I started doing this oh, many, many, many years ago. Uh, I, from about 1977. And so uh, I started using Asian martial arts and training actors because being from the U.S. originally, I live in Wales now, have for 20 years, um, uh, the approach to acting there was really problematic from my perspective, problematic versions of American-based Stanislavskian acting, um, more appropriate for film and television um, from my perspective for theater. So I came to work with the students at UCC uh, to take them through a five-day process of uh, um, e sharing with them some of the beginning exercises of this training and then the application of the principles to uh, performance. And so we, we did several days of training and then started workshopping the principles. When I teach, I always take people through the training every day, mm -hmm. but then we gradually start to apply the principles to uh, performance problems or things that look like performance. Uh, so it's, it's a very intensive process. It was great. The students were very responsive. Um, so that was the first thing. And then I gave a lecture as well. I'm working on a new book. I like to reflect on acting and acting process. And so I gave a lecture from the book I'm working on now. I write a lot about acting process uh, because I think sometimes uh, acting has not thought through carefully enough. Uh, so I like to reflect on what I'm doing because it helps me when I'm directing and working with actors or when I'm teaching in order to be clear. So this methodology that you've developed over mm -hmm. the years mm -hmm. Was it born out? How did it come about? And um, where was there integration of kind of different experiences in life? Well, what it is, again, it's a, coming from the U.S. I, when I was a young theater director, I just felt like the way that actors had been trained, 
left something to be desired. Even though I got very good reviews, my early productions, you know, I was working basically with actors trained in American realism. And any time you start working on something that's slightly different dramaturgically, um, I wasn't convinced that that approach could really garner the kind of optimal performance I was interested in getting. I, I felt like there needed to be more. What the more was, I wasn't sure of, because so, it, I hadn't developed it yet. But the signpost for me was Josie Grotowski's book, Towards a Poor Theater, when he talked about... Um, he was very influenced by Indian philosophy and... Um, a form of dance drama known as Kathakali dance drama. And he was inspired by the preliminary training of the Kathakali dance drama performer. They used to, they, they trained from about the age of seven to ten uh, for intensively for about seven years. And so uh, uh, they start from a very young age. It's a very physical approach to training from the outside in rather than psychology. Psychology may, plays no role. And so... Um, uh, so I decided to go to India to the source tradition because Grotowski didn't learn Kathakali. He he's he wasn't a an actor himself. He he didn't he coached people and directed people. But I'm very pragmatic American, so I went and jumped in with a group of seven to ten year olds in the Kalari and started this training in Kathakali dance drama and their preliminary exercises which is, were all derived from this martial art, they said. I said, can I see the martial art? And they said, no, it doesn't exist anymore. Well, then six months or a couple of, a month later or something, I found out it did still exist. So um, it's a very old martial art. People in the West didn't know anything about it at that time. And even in India, people didn't know about it. Um, uh, so it had been banned by the British during colonial rule, and uh, but it had still been practiced in villages and so on, and uh, was very an integral part of Kerala culture. So I found an amazing teacher and started immersing myself in that. So that's the the the, the route through which I eventually went that direction was. Uh, kind of via Grotowski, not that I trained, I didn't train with him, but I was just inspired by the kind of vision he had of what actors might be. And you're in Cork now, um, not too long away, you're going to be part of a reading of Cozy here tonight. Yeah. That's an interesting play mm-hmm. about death, dying, uh, relationships. Mm-hmm. You've been rehearsing today. How was that sitting with you, and how do you feel uh, well, today? Is I'm, ve- I'm very fortunate because I've worked a lot with, a lot with Kate O'Reilly, and I, I've directed the, the premiere performances in Wales uh, two years ago. And so I know the play very well, and I know her work very well. And I think um, uh, the issues that she tackles in this play are extraordinarily important, and... Uh, um, they need to be discussed and so on. And I think her approach to the subject of, you know, someone who wants to, uh, is aging and uh, wants to consider when the time is right, uh, assisted suicide, um, 
It's a big issue, and uh, uh, it's a timely issue, and um, I have my own personal views on it, and uh, uh, I think, uh, but her approach to it is fantastic because uh, she uses humor to uh, open up the subject, and uh, I think that's a really clever kind of kind of way of moving toward, you know, getting it into a space, into a public space, and to get the issue there in a really uh, vital and entertaining way in the midst of a family drama. And they're family dramas that every family faces. And so um, she's chosen to do it th through a more comedic approach, and, uh, uh, which is lovely. And I know that, um, I suppose this is, uh, it'll be read here tonight, but of course, um, Kate has just told us that this play has now been funded um, mm -hmm. by the Arts Council here yep. in Ireland yep. and will be showcased in 2019 as yep. part of Cork Midsummer Festival. Right. So going forward, where do you see this play and how do you see it impacting on our local community here in Cork? Well, I think that... Those of you here will be better able to answer that than I would coming from the U.S. and via Wales. Uh, um, I, I, these are issues I've thought about a lot. Uh, I did a play years and years ago that was all around death. It was a very early play. It was a very interesting uh, uh, play by Dino Buzzati, an Italian playwright that I directed in Italian with some students who were studying Italian and then in English, when I was a very young director, it was one of the early productions I directed. And it was a, a fantastic play because, it, again, it was a very different from Kate's play, but it was also using some humor, not near as much as Kate's, to, to, uh, uh, to kind of uh, signal, in that case, it was more around problems with the medical establishment and kind of, kind of the double talk especially years ago, that the medical profession might do in relation to somebody with a terminal prognosis, mm -hmm. you know, where uh, platitudes might be used uh, to not discuss directly what was going on. Uh, so, so these issues are of great interest to me, and uh, uh, I think, hopefully, uh, Kate and the the company will be able to work with uh, local experts, say, uh, who may be involved with palliative care or the issue of death and dying and, and a good death and what constitutes that. Uh, so there could be a lot of kind of additional activities that could go on around it. And I think that's going to be a question uh, for... Um, the festival to consider in terms of organizing and but certainly those of us involved in the project would be more than happy to engage in and around these issues sure. uh, as we're able to so well i know i can hear lots of people coming through the door now and uh, time is pretty close yeah. now to when you start your reading so yeah. i just want to thank you for your time philip and wish you all the very best for tonight in the reading and going forward thank you very much i look forward to being back in cork for quite a while in the spring take care Okay. Thank you. Thank you.